four. We played a good hockey game. Uh, I think in the third period, prior to our a little bit of a meltdown there, I think we held the two scoring chances. Uh, so uh, we're confident in the way we we're playing. Uh, we, we didn't want that to happen, you know. Uh, but right from the get-go, as we started preparing for this game, we knew how we were playing, and we just wanted to try to get back to a game as quickly as possible when we started game five. Everybody, Scott Burnside here with the morning edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. And what a weekend it was. What a week it has already started to become. Of course, we're just uh, listening to head coach John Tortorella of the victorious Columbus Blue Jackets after their Game 5 victory over the Toronto Maple Leafs on Sunday evening. The only one of eight play-in rounds that went the distance. I'm completely shocked by that and I'm curious Charlie O'Connor our guest this morning and the top end athletic Philadelphia hey Scott, how you doing? Flyers I'm doing very well oh so let's we got a lot to unpack here as we get ready for really the draft lottery later today we got the actual first round of the playoffs going to begin tomorrow uh but I, i'm just curious what you made of that leaf columbus series as a whole certainly in game five and the fact that it was the only one of eight playing series that actually went the distance i I'm, I'm still shocked at that yeah i was surprised as well I, I expected more than a few series to go uh to go the distance to go the full five uh, i think it was good for hockey fans that we at least got the one um because it was a, a fun game and obviously the certainly wasn't lacking for drama but uh yeah you know that that series was uh was an interesting one just because i think most people would agree that toronto has you know the 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 advantage in talent but uh, at the same time you know that that's a it's a tough team to uh to take down in in columbus and uh and they just, they frustrated, uh, they really frustrated Toronto. So uh, it, it was one of those things where, you know, I guess everybody knew it was going to be a tough series for Toronto, but it's still kind of shocking that they didn't make it to the actual playoffs. Yeah, I, I mean, Charlie, is there, a, is there a lesson to be learned, do you think, when we look at what happened in that, uh, within the eight qualifying rounds? I mean, I think it's you're absolutely right, Columbus undermanned talent-wise, but somehow managing to win... Uh, and really, I you know was was as give as, gave as good as they got in that series, right? I mean, two epic three goal uh, leads collapsed, uh, one for each team, of course, leading to Game Five. Um, but we also saw a, a, a much more talented Pittsburgh team fall to Montreal. We saw a more talented Edmonton team fall to Chicago. I mean, is there a lesson to be learned? Do you think on Okay, how do you build a team that can succeed in the playoffs, and and maybe it, do we overvalue talent, or what's your what's your take on that? You know, one thing that that I thought about going into this, and you know, it obviously doesn't quite work out cleanly because there are some series where you would think that one team would have the advantage in this in this aspect, and maybe it didn't necessarily play out that way. But I felt like the way that this uh, particular playoff was set up just the the strangeness of it all the the quick camp going right into meaningful games that it was really going to uh, to place a premium on the importance of coaching and not just from a strategic standpoint you know in terms of on ice changes and adjustments and whatnot but just in terms of the way that the coaches planned out the camps you know maximizing the value of each session 
uh, on ice and off ice and and making sure that their teams were ready for this as best as possible and I think uh, you know obviously Mike Sullivan's a great coach obviously you know Tippett's a great coach so there were guys that that may have been out coached in these series when you maybe didn't expect they would but I think the teams that were prepared the most are the teams that had an advantage here and I think that's a big reason why Columbus won the series is I think they they just looked to me they looked better prepared to play their style their preferred style that than Toronto did and you know obviously John Tortorella is a fantastic head coach and I think it really showed in the series yeah you know what it, it, and I think you you've hit on something that's really important and it's a great segue when we start to look at the the first round and so now we we morph from that weird collision of round-robin games for the top four teams in each conference and the uh, the victorious play-in round teams. And I wonder what you think the transition is going to be like for those play- teams who played in the round-robin. And, and you cover the Philadelphia Flyers and, and the, now the top seed in the Eastern Conference. And I think really a team that opened a lot of people's eyes. Listen, I, I, people understood that this was a team that had taken great strides before the pause well-coached, well-prepared. But I think in the round robin, there was a huge disparity on where teams were at. You know, Boston, St. Louis, the two cup finalists from a year ago, looking pretty flat. Dallas looking aimless. But the Flyers really seemed to come in with a purpose. And I wonder if if that's what you saw and maybe were there things that surprised you about how they approached the round robin? No, I think you hit the nail right on the head as well. The Flyers really did come in with a purpose. And that was something that was, it was very obvious even at training camp, the, the training camp in, in July, just how focused and how, how dedicated to the cause the, the Flyers seemed. And obviously, you know, as a as someone covering the team, you, you wonder if you're if you're being biased because this is the team you cover, this is the team you watch. But just in all the interviews and all the sessions, this was I, I was talking to a few other, you know, a few other beat writers and just asking like does does your team look as sharp in these sessions as the Flyers do? Because the Flyers look pretty good, much better than I thought they were going to. And I think a lot of it, you know, at least from the player side, it boils down to the fact that these guys, when this season was paused, these guys really believed they had a chance of going on a run. And because of that, I think the vast majority, if not all of the players on the Flyers, they, uh, they really approached the pause from a conditioning, from a preparation standpoint, uh, operating under the assumption that there was a good chance they were going to get back playing. And if they did, they wanted to be ready to go on the run that they felt like they had the ability to go on back in back in March. So there was, there was a real sense of purpose at camp, and I think that carried over into the round robin. And then as we talk about coaching, you know, Lane Vigneault is a really good coach, and I think they had a, you know, a really you know, smart, um, the kind of guy who just plans out everything and combine that with the feeling on the part of the players that this could potentially be the year the flyers were really well positioned to to get out to a fast start in this and that's exactly what they did well and and i think the way the you know the, the way the round robin was set up uh, i i like the idea of it because what happened the, the potential to be the top round robin team and have a benefit for it moving forward is exactly how this played out, right? I mean, we saw two 12th seed teams knock off 
the number five seed, so the top team in the qualifying round in Pittsburgh and, and Edmonton. And there should be a value. And I, I know it's foolish now to discount the Montreal Canadiens, but I can't imagine that there is a better matchup for this Philadelphia team than the 12th seed Montreal Canadiens. And I, there's all kinds of juicy storylines. Of course, uh, Alain Vigneault and assistant coach Michel Therrien both coached in Montreal. And we know that Carter Hart, uh, the young goaltender, not just of the future, the goaltender of the here and now for the Flyers, idolized Carey Price growing up. Um, but it had uh, this. It, well, let me ask it as a question then. Is this not the best possible matchup for this Philly team going into the first round of the playoffs? It's definitely one that it's not a bad matchup. Let me put it that way. You know, we you talk about the importance of the round robin. Classic example is look at Boston. You know, Boston is a team that was the best team in the league all year. They lose three games and suddenly they're going to have to play against a really good Carolina team that's getting Dougie Hamilton back. So that's a matchup that the Flyers are, I'm sure, you know, they're not going to say it, but I'm sure they're thankful they don't have to 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 face a team like that in the first round like the like the Bruins do. But, you know, Montreal, it, they're, they're an interesting team for the Flyers because the, the big thing for the Flyers in this matchup is that they definitely have the edge in in talent, especially high end talent. You know, the, the the Flyers can throw out, you know, Sean Gatterier, Claude Giroux, um, Travis Konechny, Ivan Provorov, Tra- even going back, going further down the lineup, guys like Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers, who are ridiculously physically skilled. They just have the ability to throw out, you know, a collection of talent that Montreal really can't match, at least in terms of the skaters. That said. You know, Montreal played the Flyers pretty tough this year. the The Flyers won two games, but they were they, they took overtime both games. the The, the third game uh, that that they played, they actually lost in pretty convincing fashion. And it was it was in January. It was when the Flyers had had started to turn the corner as a team, and Montreal you know held their own against them. So I don't necessarily think this is. It's just such a stylistic advantage for the Flyers. You know, they're I, I could see these games being close. I think the Flyers rightfully will go in as the favorite. Um, but I'm not quite sure that the Flyers, you know, match up necessarily so well that this is a blowout series. I think Montreal, especially if Carey Price can play the way or at least close to the way he played against uh, against Pittsburgh, I don't think this is going to be an easy matchup for Philadelphia. Uh, that's great. Okay, I want uh, two quick things before I let you get on with your Monday, Charlie O'Connor. Um, what other series in the East is are, are you especially curious about as we head into the traditional best of seven first round of the playoffs? Well, I guess I mean I'm definitely interested in that that Carolina Boston series just because I. At one point, I've, I've made this on social media a few times. Is that it surprised me how many teams looked pretty similar in the you know in the the round robin or in the play-in to what they looked at the pause for a lot of teams the flyers included they it almost seemed like they literally did just hit the pause button and then hit play when they got back out there and had the same strengths the same weaknesses but the one exception was the bruins who were really good leading into the pause and then these games even including the exhibition game kind of looked like a mess so i'm fascinated to see if they can kind of flip the switch which was the narrative that came out of that game from the bruins players i'm interested to see if they can flip the switch because they're going to need to against a team like carolina that is is deep is well coached 
you know, just is always in attack mode. If you're a sloppy team, you're not going to play well against the Carolina Hurricanes because they're so structured and disciplined. And I believe Boston, with their veteran leadership, they think they can flip the switch, but I'm fascinated to see if they can. Because if they can't, Carolina really could take them to the to the woodshed. If not, this is a series that could go, you know, six, seven games and be one of the most fun series in this uh, this round of 16. So that's a series I'm I'm really interested to see how it plays out because, uh, especially because of of the way Toronto looked in the round robin, or not Toronto, Boston. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, and I'm with you, and I think especially, you know, given how easily uh, Boston handled Carolina in the Eastern Conference Final last year, and 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 I think the Canes, you know, they're a team that uh, they play like Rod Brindamore, the the head coach, played. Right, they play with an edge, they play with great speed and tempo, and they will be looking for a little payback. So I'm I'm with you on that. And before I let you go, get on with your day, get ready for uh, round one, Philly, Montreal. Of course, in about ten hours, a little bit less than that, uh, we will know who finally owns the number one overall pick in the draft, which will uh, come up at the end of this uh, prolonged playoff uh, season in the NHL. And lots of teams that uh, no one expected would have a shot at the number one overall pick, and presumably Alexis Lafreniere, the, the generational winger coming out of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. I want to. I want your top... Give me top two teams that you would love to see earn the number one pick in the in the phase two of the draft lottery tonight. Um, so my top team, the team that I'm rooting for to, to get the number one overall pick is is Nashville. Uh, I just see that team as I, I think the NHL is more fun when the Nashville Predators are uh, are, are a good team. I love the atmosphere they have down there. And it just seems like since they went on their, uh, their their run to the Cup final, it seems like they've kind of been progressively getting worse each year. You know, obviously there's a lot of criticism that's thrown their way. They don't have that one high end talent, and I just feel like they're in something of a death spiral right now, and they can't seem to figure out how to pull themselves out of it. And I'd love to see them get you know a potential impact player in, in Lafreniere to to really give that team the the boost they seem to need. It's funny though, I'll tell you, Flyers fans are are quite worried that. <laughs> that the Pittsburgh Penguins might <laughs> might luck into uh, into the number one overall pick because the Flyers fans have waited a long time for the Penguins to look like they're on the downslope, and uh, and it looks like you know maybe they're not, but it does look like the the aging curve is hitting them a bit um, over the last couple seasons, and you know getting the first overall pick would kind of turn that all around. So I'll tell you, Flyers fans, they'll be they'll be holding their breath tonight, hoping that it's anybody but the Penguins. Uh, good stuff. All right. Uh, you should always read Charlie's stuff. Uh, tremendous at the Athletic Philadelphia and follow Charlie at Charlie O underscore con C O N N. And Charlie, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. It's been uh, been a real treat. And uh, keep up the good work, and we'll see what happens with Flyers Canadians. Absolutely. Hopefully, I'll be uh, be back on in a, in a few weeks, and the Flyers will still be on their run. All right. Let's see what happens. All right. Thanks very much, Charlie. Take care. All right, and don't go anywhere because when we come back from this brief break, we will speaking, we will be speaking to our man in Vegas up at the crack of dawn to chat with us on Two Man Advantage, Jesse Granger. So don't go away, we'll be right back. Support for Two Man Advantage is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the belt grooming. 
Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And here's big news. Manscaped just launched in Canada. So for those listeners in Canada, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. Uh, Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. Ouch, you don't want that to happen. And when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show off your mower. Uh, loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. So if you're listening to me right now, and you are, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Once again, don't forget this. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. Jesse? Granger, how many cups of coffee? I, are you are you sitting near the pot in uh, in in Las Vegas? Because I do know it's probably not even light out there. But uh, thanks for getting up and, and hanging out with us this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. Yeah, at this point, I'm just drinking it straight out of the pot. It's pretty early out yeah. here in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And you know what? I mean, I'm so excited. Uh, we just got done talking, talking, talking with Charlie in Philadelphia about the Eastern Conference. We talked about uh, that epic Columbus-Toronto series. I, I want to start with you with some news of the day, uh, of course, with the Florida Panthers announcing uh, what had been earlier reported as, uh, as, as going to be the case uh, with the Panthers, that Dale Talon, longtime GM there, would not see his contract re- renewed that the team would be moving on from Dale Talon. And I, I thought you'd have an interesting perspective on on what has happened there because, of course, you're in Las Vegas. The Vegas Golden Knights were really the beneficiaries uh, in some ways of some of the missteps by the Florida Panthers. Of course, former Panther head coach Gerard Gallant, the first coach in uh, Golden Knights history, takes the team to the Stanley Cup final in their first season. Uh, so you have a sense of maybe some of the uh, the issues that plagued that team. And I wonder, A, whether you're surprised, and B, okay, what what does this mean for a Florida team that, that really should have been much better with Joel Quenville behind the bench and and that offensive talent on the ice and just it hasn't happened for them yeah I mean I agree with you 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 look at the players and that team you'd think on paper should be a lot better than it has been over the last couple years and and the Golden Knights like you said were the beneficiaries not just with Gerard Gallant who's no longer with the team but also I mean Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau are two-thirds of one of their best lines and and have been two of their most consistent players basically since inception so um they we're going to get one good player no matter what out of Florida just because they had a deep lineup of forwards. But the fact that Florida also traded Riley Smith for almost nothing really just to get rid of that contract um, really helped Vegas out and, and got them two high-end scorers that they've had for the first three years. Um, 
I, I it's I it's hard to call it surprising just because of like you said they've underperformed for the last few years and and this was supposed to be that season they get they go out they pay Sergey Bobrovsky all that money and every I, I mean me and pretty much everyone thought that is going to solve the, the the underperforming issues that this team has had and it clearly didn't. It's a, it's a, such a strange. Hey, listen, I I thought there were a lot of teams that underperformed in that uh, qualifying round, and you know you start with the Edmonton Oilers, you got Pittsburgh. Uh, I thought Nashville would be much better. I I thought they matched up nicely against Arizona. It didn't happen there. Of course, Florida getting beaten four games uh, by the uh, New York Islanders. So lots of talent now on the sidelines. But uh, I was curious about what you made of how Vegas approached the round. Robin. They're the number one seed. They'll go into the first round. First uh, round, I use my air quotes here, best of seven, playing against the 12th seed Chicago Blackhawks, a team that seems to be drinking from the fountain of youth. So, uh, But I wonder, were you surprised by maybe how Vegas approached the round robin and, and the fact that they did end up with the number one seed and, uh, and what, you, what your takeaway from that was? Yeah, yeah, I thought that they were ready to go from and and like when I when they first came back from camp and it's we're first talking to the players after having months off and and they they just seemed really dialed in and and at the time I'm like man I think this is every team I, yeah they think they're dialed in yeah they think they're in the greatest shape they've ever been in but I'm sure every team is saying that but then the Golden Knights showed up and they and they proved it and like Riley Smith was even joking before the exhibition he's like I don't even think we need an exhibition and he shows up and scores two goals in that and he's looked awesome and and the team was just they were really dialed in and I think they were the benefit uh, the beneficiary of having a lot of guys stay in town and, and they're not the only team that had that but almost every single player on this team there were two or three guys that didn't stay in Vegas so that when they opened up that phase two and the guys were able to start skating in small groups um, they basically had their whole team and they were just rotating them in as many guys as they could get on the ice at once and I think that that helped them find their game a little faster uh, you see some other top teams like St. Louis and Boston who we all know they're good but they haven't found their game yet and and I think the Golden Knights were able to find their game extremely quickly just because of the attendance and participation they had early on in the in the return to play you know what's? I just love how they approached it. I love how they play, and I, there are a lot of uh, people, myself included, if I have to go back and test my memory. I believe I had the Golden Knights winning it all. Uh, I talked to an agent recently uh, who, apropos of nothing, said he felt that um, it would be Vegas Philly in the final, and he liked Vegas to win it all. So that uh, covers off both uh, you and Charlie, the teams that you covered this morning, so if, he, if he is accurate. Um, but the one thing I can't wait to see how this unfolds um, since Vegas acquired Robin Leonard at the trade deadline, a lot of discussion about you know what was the plan, how was Pete DeBoer going to manipulate really what were two starting goaltenders now on that roster. Um, and it, it does seem like signs are pointing to Robin Leonard as the guy who, if he isn't going to get the start in game one, he should, given his level of play. And I wonder how you see that dynamic working, given how important Marc-Andre Fleury has been you know, to the to the brief history of this franchise. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury's definitely. I mean, he's the guy that that every player in the locker room for, refers to him as the backbone of the team, the anchor of the team. He's the guy, and he hasn't had that good of a season. He did have a really bad stretch there when his father passed away in the middle of the season, and I think that there 
that's understandable. Um, and I think that you can kind of explain that part of the season and, and he just really struggled there. But I do think that you see a lot of these guys, Jonathan Taves is the one that, I mean, when the playoffs come, they, they come to life. And even though Fleury did have some, some bad playoff stretches when he was in Pittsburgh, he's been phenomenal for this team in the playoffs, um, since he got to Vegas. And I, and I do think that they expect him to be really good for them. But then, like you said, Robin Leonard's been the better goalie this year. And, and he's been really, really good since he came to the Golden Knights. Um, it's a limited sample size, but he's never lost a game as a Golden Knight. Um, he's undefeated in the net. And I think his style fits really, really well with this team. And by that, I mean, I think Marc-Andre Fleury, if you need your goalie to win you the game, I think he ha- there's a better chance Fleury's going to go out there and single-handedly win you the game, stand on his head and just bail you out. Whereas Robin Leonard is a safer goalie, and he's he may not bail you out, but if you, the Golden Knights have had maybe not the best defense, but they've allowed the fewest chances, the fewest shots of any team in the league this season. And I think a big positional goalie like Robin Leonard, who doesn't have many leaks in his game and he, and he just doesn't let in those soft goals, I think his style really meshes well with this team that controls the puck as much as they do and they allow as few of opportunities as they do. All right, so what's happening then, Jesse? Let's go on. Let's get to the heart of the matter here. If you're Pete DeBoer, who leads the Vegas Golden Knights onto the ice for game one against Chicago Blackhawks? I I think I'm leaning that it's going to be Robin Leonard just because of how impressive he's looked. But I really do think this is going to be, this is not going to be Robin Leonard's job. It's both guys will play. Um, and you've seen like what Columbus did um, in that first round against the Maple Leafs. Corpus Allo and Elvis Merzlikens both played. And it wasn't like they were getting yanked from games, so they had to both play. They were playing both goalies. And I expect, and that was only a five-game series. So now that we're into the seven-game series, I, I expect to see, as far as the Golden Knights go, I would expect to see each goalie at least once in each round and how they play will obviously depend on who gets the most but I I mean that game one if it's Fleury it wouldn't surprise me but right now I'm leaning Leonard but I like I said I expect them both to play and it's going to be really interesting because I feel like they're setting Pete DeBoer up to if he doesn't win the cup it's going to be because of he picked the wrong goalie in net and I don't think that's the case but I it's a really hard situation for Pete DeBoer. I can't wait to wait to to see how it unfolds. And I got to tell you, I, you know, it was interesting to watch that Vegas Colorado game uh, on the weekend. The 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 winner, of course, earned the number one seed. And and I know you never want to lose. And I know you want to you you want to you win and you 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 play who you play. Um, but in my heart of hearts, I have to think right now Chicago is a much sterner test than the Arizona Coyotes, who Colorado will play by virtue of being the second seed. Agree, disagree, and how do you, where do you see Chicago fitting in after really being, like, really shocking Edmonton? And I was shocked at just how well they played and, and how, how they negated that, uh, that, our, uh, that powerful Oiler team. Yeah, I, I disagree. I think the Blackhawks were an easier matchup for them just because the Golden Knights have had some struggles against the Arizona Coyotes, and they're defensive style of play and they, they just don't allow a lot and Darcy Kemper has been really really good against the Golden Knights I think he allowed two goals on like 90 shots this season against the Golden Knights and this season the Golden Knights have had some ups and downs and they've they've had some inconsistencies and when they've been inconsistent and when they have lost games it's usually been because they have a hard time finishing and they just can't beat the goalie on the other end they'll outshoot the team by 30 shots and lose and I feel like that's more likely to happen with Arizona just because of how good Darcy Kemper's been and he's had their number this year. So I think Chicago, they're going to have no problem scoring on them. They allow more 
chances and shots than basically any team in the league. And while they do have the firepower that Arizona clearly doesn't have, so I mean, Chicago can come out and, and really take it to you, whereas the Coyotes can't. I think the Golden Knights are more comfortable thinking that even though that Chicago does have some firepower, I think that they believe they can control the puck and, and they're not going to end up controlling this game and losing it against Chicago, whereas that can absolutely happen against Arizona. I mean, it happened to Nashville. I thought Nashville was the better team for most of that series, and, and they definitely controlled the, the shot the shot count in that series, and they still couldn't come up with wins. So just based on what's given the Golden Knights problems, I think the Coyotes were a worse matchup, even though Chicago might be the better team right now. Good call. Good call by you. Okay, uh, before I let you go, Jesse, uh, we are. I asked Charlie this, and we're now whatever it is, nine and a half hours away from the phase two of the NHL's draft lottery. We're going to find out who has the number one pick at the end of the day. Uh, Give me two teams that you would love to see earn that number one pick, or maybe not even like to see, but you know would create chaos across the NHL landscape. Who Who are you looking forward to possibly landing that number one overall pick? Yeah, my answer will not be popular amongst Golden Knights fans, but I would love to see the Edmonton Oilers get him just because, (laughs) I mean, hockey's more fun when Connor McDavid is in meaningful games and the Golden Knights, they've got a great rivalry out here with San Jose and and the Kings a little bit, but they're both kind of down and I think... It, the Pacific Division will be more fun if the Oilers are good, and I, and I think the Golden Knights need a team to really hate, and if they can get Alexi Lafreniere with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, that team's going to be really, really scary, and um, it, like I said, Golden Knights fans won't like it, but I think that makes the Pacific Division a lot more fun if, if Connor McDavid has a legit chance at winning the Stanley Cup every year. All right, Jesse Granger, you have done yeoman service before the sun is even up in Nevada, so thank you so much for doing that. And you should always uh, follow Jesse's coverage of the Golden Knights at The Athletic Las Vegas and follow Jesse at Jesse Granger underscore. So I'm going to let you go. Hey, whether you have a nap, listen. As far as I'm concerned, take the rest of the morning off. But uh, thanks for coming and hanging out with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. Anytime. And you should check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic App. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. We return Tuesday morning. Scott Wheeler is going to join us to talk about how Phase 2 unfolds the winners and losers of the draft lottery on Monday evening. And as always, I'm Scott Burnside, and thanks for listening, and thanks for subscribing to The Athletic.